This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, a CBS sports podcast. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson, who isn't sick of it all and is not hungover. This is just the day after National Signing Day. And you've unwrapped an illness for twice, second time in a month now. Yeah, I, I've tried to look into uh, boomerang flu, or if that's a thing. Uh, comes back again. But yeah, a couple of weeks ago, for those who listen to the podcast, you know, I had the flu and then was feeling great, back to normal. And then woke up Wednesday morning feeling feeling bad again. I don't know what it is, but... COVID negative, flu positive, maybe. Who knows? I'm not going to bother going out again. So, um, After that podcast, when I talked about how great my immune system was, the government contacted me about cybersecurity. Uh-oh. That's how good my immune system is. They want to study me. And there you go. Just bring it to the top shelf. I'm going to keep pushing the envelope here until I fall. Very, very ill, I'm sure. Smooth transition from that which makes you sick. To National Signing Day. In the books now, we're in the middle of the three-day signing period. Today's Thursday, yesterday. Chris, is it the signing date? Is it the early signing date? What's the proper phrasing now? It seems like it's the big signing date, but they call it the early signing date. Yeah, technically the early signing period because it's three days. Right. But, I mean, in reality, it's it's the signing day. Wednesday is the day now. It is when, I don't know what he's saying, 90% of players sign with their teams, even guys who plan on signing early. Like they don't very rarely do they sign on Thursday or Friday. That's it's usually done Wednesday. And then there's just a handful of guys left over that don't sign until February. So uh, Wednesday is the signing day now. Okay. December is an absolutely bonkers month. And imagine if this team was actually preparing for a bowl game right now too. Maybe they don't hold this class together. Maybe they don't add people in the transfer portal, but while they're doing this at the end of it, um, I'm sure they have some domestic stuff going on with coaches about, you know, Christmas, families, spouses, all that. Um, there's some coaching uncertainty on the staff. You have players in and out of the portal. You have other staffing decisions in your department. to do. This is just a, a wild month. And now this recruiting period has taken on a, a larger than life aspect here, which I guess they just kind of have to grin and bear it right now. But they do get a lot of work done. And. Again, hold it together. It's going to be probably your traditional West Virginia class when it comes to rankings. Uh, the past few years, and you can correct me on the specifics and the average player rating and all that, but this was oddly eventful yesterday. Frequently, a lot of the work is done, and there's no surprises. There's not a whole lot of suspense on signing day. This did not come off the rails, but again, there was some drama. There were some questions as to math, who was going to sign, who wasn't. It, it kind of did make you lean in a little bit and pay attention to something that has kind of approached foregone cl- conclusion status in the past few years. A lot went according to plan. There were a few surprises, but there was also, like I said, some drama and some intrigue along the way. Yeah, at about 11, 11.15 or so in the morning, I was prepared to 
say this was the worst, the worst signing day for West Virginia since I started doing this a dozen years ago. And it, it is relative because West Virginia has never really had a bad, like a really bad signing day during my time covering the team. But at that time, Rodney Gallagher had not signed. Justin Benton had just flipped from West Virginia to Houston. And I don't doubt that there was a little twist of the knife for WVU fans that, that he flipped to Dana and crew at Houston and the new Big 12 Houston Cougars. Um, and at the same time, Neil Brown is on the signing day show through the school saying out loud that there, he is personally only expecting 16 signees. And at the time, you're looking at the, the list and you're like, oh, man, that likely means that Traylon Ray, who is, I believe, was the second highest rated kid in the class, mm-hmm. is not going to sign. This Chris Desson St. John, who is a big lineman that I compared, I think my, my exact quote was, he's Yadni Kajust, but a year behind. Um, like, those are two guys you really want in your class. And so you're thinking, wow, this is bad. Like, this is not good. You're losing well, maybe your best defensive lineman in the class, potentially losing your big outside receiver threat, potentially losing, you know, your, your bookend tackle. And this comes on the heels of already losing Elijah Caldwell, the wide receiver who decommitted a couple of days earlier. Um, and I was like, this is, this is a bad, bad finish. Then it kind of flipped because a few minutes later, Rodney Gallagher's signature gets in, so nobody has to worry about that anymore. Uh, then a little bit later, Traylon Ray gets his signature in, I think like kind of surprising some people because he was definitely one of those two maybes. And then Neil Brown hops into the press conference and says, we got two silent commits. Well, he said it on the signing day too, but two a couple of, quote, um, silent commitments on the transfer portal. And in my book, in this day and age, if you have a couple transfer portal guys that you are targeting at this point in the game, that means more to your team than 90% of your high school recruiting class. So if they did add to, you know, I'm assuming that he's not making that up, of course. If he did add two more transfer portal commitments that just haven't become public yet, we've all of a sudden flipped from maybe the worst signing day to, okay, this may have ended up as a net positive despite the negatives that went on. So fickle, huh? Like it yeah. really go from one extreme to the other in a matter, like you said, a matter of moments or just a matter of faxes or emails too. And again, they, um, he was, he was kind of, I don't know what the word to be here, kind of cheeky about it, about how, Hey, kudos to everybody for holding it together. Um, I think he said turmoil was kind of an opponent of theirs. I think we all understand what he's talking about there, but relationships inside the building, outside the building, he really talked up families too. Not like this is a family inside here, but the the way that they worked with parents and grandparents and whether it was the Trotters or the Gallagher's or anybody else, he, he did talk about how sticking with the parents, like I said, the family, the immediate family, the extended family, whoever they got to know, that kind of maintain bonds that were not going to be so easily broken there and then did kind of admit later on that it was not the ideal conditions for him he kind of said that with a grin but with everything we know about the cloud that has hovered above the program for let's say six to eight weeks right now losing streak athletic director change miss a bowl vote of confidence retention announcement whatever you want to call it 
it could have been worse. You just highlighted how about one or two decisions could have changed this, but all things considered here, they get a lot of their marquee players. They do seem like they're going to be active with the transfer portal moving forward. Maybe they already are. Not a terrible day, not as bad as it could have been. There are some positives here. Yeah, all in all, pretty standard West Virginia signing day. Uh, you and I talked about this before we hopped on here. Like, It has been a long time since National Signing Day has been overly eventful for WVU. It has mostly been let's dot our I's, cross our T's, and, and finalize these things. You know, they have their verbal commitments already. They're not really waiting on uh, a bunch of guys to make their decision on signing day. It's usually like one or two, maybe, and you have a pretty good idea before that decision even happens which way they're leaning. So signing day has been mostly a formality for West Virginia for the best part of, of a decade almost. Um, I think the time that I said it, it felt a little different, uh, a little bigger, or there was more going on at least, was that offseason when uh, Tony Gibson came over from Arizona mm-hmm. and West Virginia pulled a couple late guys that, that had been previously linked to Gibby at Arizona, uh, including – Couple guys that that <clears throat> really made an impact, like like Mario Alford. So that was a that was a big day. But for the most part, it's been a formality on signing day. And and yesterday was mostly that. I mean, the Justin Benton thing was a bit of a a little bit of a gut punch. But you know, they had hoped for Amari Snowden, but I think everybody realized he was likely heading to Wisconsin. So no real surprises, no real you know concerns or worries or anything like that. 40-degree day is what you're saying. Pretty much. Just a 40-degree day. Let me quiz you on some things I plucked from the news conference. I know you're going to hit on superlatives, and I imagine the people like Hurd and Trotter, for example, would be in there because it sounds like Hurd is going to play right away. Trotter maybe as well. Obviously, we know what Ray and Gallagher mean to the offensive side, but a couple of things that I caught here that really piqued my interest. We know their running back room is very crowded, very talented, and they add running backs here. But the way that Brown described it was almost as if they're going to have multiple packages with multiple running backs and that they're going to have to do multiple things. Multiple, multiple, multiple. We've heard that until our eyes roll back in our heads in the past. But there's a way to get these guys on the field and utilize their talents. And he kind of said packaging things. And whether it is like a herd who's only going to be the third down pass rusher early or if it's a big guy like you know, one of their running backs can be a like a pounder between the tackles person. I was kind of taken back by they had a great running back room. They added to it. And they're going to try to get these guys in and on the field because they do things that can be productive. For example, uh, Jaheim White, they liked him as a slot receiver. Could he be a guy who catches passes out of the backfield? Um, the two running backs they add, the plans they have for them. Do we infer anything about the lean of the offense here moving forward? And is it realistic to incorporate six running backs in this offense? Is this the part where I make the offensive coordinator joke from Navy? I think we laughed the first time, but it seems maybe more serious now at this point, right? I, I'm trying to remember a room of any position over the last decade that is as loaded or at least as deep as the running back room is right now for West Virginia, because I could argue that any one of these guys is ready for RB1 status. Like maybe these new guys are RB2, you know, back up, but still getting reps. But you have talent there. And if you have a room, a wide receiver room that is decimated, and you have a running back room that is loaded, 
it would make sense to sample a little bit with the running backs in some different spots. Could White be a receiver? I could see it. I mean, I knew it, you know Neil Brown brought it up, and and I was there. You might have had your recruiting card on that day. Mm -hmm. uh, he did line up in the slot, and he did play there a bunch because he, he was, was not of the getting, linebackers. <laughs> yes, it, I think there was only like a handful of linebackers and. A couple of those guys were more likely bandits, like de almost defensive end, edge rushers types. So he just said, screw it, I'll go battle against the, the defensive backs. And that's the kind of stuff you want to see. He's a, a twitchy kind of a player. And, and again, if you're not familiar with the story, he lit it up in a camp. Video went viral. He gets an offer, not because of the video. That certainly helped. But, like, just you could see the apparent gifts there, too. Five, nine, one, what, about 180-ish, something like that. Small, twitchy guy. And then there's DJ Oliver, who's like 6'1", 240. He's, he's kind of a C.J. Donaldson. They, they, they have and don't have players like this, too. But also, the explanation on, on Oliver about how they got him is hilarious, too, because he asked, uh, have you ever been to Port St. Joe? And no, exactly. Um, and they found a guy in, in this, this kind of rural area of Florida. This seems like a pretty promising find laid on in the process. And someone who is but also is not like, who they have in the backfield. And I think maybe the the benefit here is not that Oliver gives you a lot, but having someone like him, you can add to the offense and you can also accentuate what CJ Donaldson can do in the offense because here's a guy who holds a bunch of cards in his hand. He can only do so much if he's like a featured running back. But now if you have Oliver who can do some of the CJ Donaldson running things eventually, not right away. Well, now you have a chance to move Donaldson out. Uh, I'm not saying play him at tight end, but you could blind him the slot. You could run him out of the backfield. You could play him at receiver. It's not just Oliver that does this, but when you add quantity and quality to the backfield, now you get to take advantage of some of the gifts that the players have, i.e. Donaldson. Um, circling back on Oliver, late addition, talented player. It, this seems like kind of a too-good-to-be-true thing, so we don't really know how true it really is, but what did they stumble on here? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out, is how he stayed so far under the radar, because uh, our own Andrew Evans, who covers the state of Florida and works as a national analyst for 24-7 Sports, yeah. saw him at a camp and wrote about him being one of the biggest freaks in all of high school football uh, almost a year ago. Like, it wasn't, like, something that just happened a couple months ago. He wrote about this guy a while ago. He had a huge junior year, like 1,600 yards on the ground, almost 13 yards per carry, and then went to that camp and ran, uh, what was it, a 4-5, and, and measured in at 240 pounds. Like, how does that, I just don't understand how that flies under the radar. I get the Port St. Joe thing. I get that it's out of the way. But, man, if you give me that si combination of size and speed and production, that's somebody that should be up the board quite a bit for a lot of teams, I would think. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think what's cool about this, though, is that you've had, you know, Tony Mathis types, Justin Johnson types for a while. He inherited Kennedy McCoy. 
you're just kind of familiar with the running backs he's had, but he talked about wanting that big bruising bat that you could lean on people with late in the game and late in the season. Now they may have one, maybe two of them now too, that they can do something with. The other one that caught my attention, their plans for tight end. And this is not just because it's an annual obsession of people who are um, about college football or about West Virginia football, where there's that annual headline of this is the year we incorporate the tight end. But given the potential of like, a Donaldson role and and how he worked from tight end to running back. But also you look at what a Tory Johnson is and may be what Noah Bram is and may be. They're also pretty heavy. It looks like into getting a um, pass catching tight end from the portal here. I, I don't know if you're going to have the attached to the line of scrimmage tight end from anybody that you have right now in this class, but, and again, maybe the portal does that, but, Again, versatile, multiple. That sounds like great things here. But with Bram and, excuse me, with um, Bram and Torrey Johnson Jr. here in the class, are these hybrid players? Like they're going to start Bram at H-back. Does he stick there forever? Is this a, a permanent role in the offense for one of these people where they're they're not one position necessarily? They could be this slash that. I think of Torrey Johnson as more of like a O'Loughlin type, uh, you know, a receiver in high school. That's just almost too big to do that in college. And, and he's got he's gotten thick since we first saw him. You saw him at camp two summers ago, and he was scrawny. And I wasn't sure how it was going to work. I wasn't sure how he was going to develop into a college player. Um, you saw the athleticism. You saw the speed. You saw the height and the hands. And then he showed up at this camp, and I almost didn't even recognize him. I just still remember just looking over me like, who's talking to Sean Reagan? That guy is huge. And it was Johnson. He's still 6'4", except he had added another 20 pounds, almost all muscle, since last summer. So he's a guy that I think of as like an O'Laughlin type who is a converted receiver that will maybe as they get him bulkier, they'll be able to move him towards the line out of necessity. But he is a guy that's going to be a receiver first. And then Bram, I don't know. He'd be defense too, right? Yeah, I, I know. You know, they talked about a linebacker, bandit. Uh, tight end H back who knows and I think you know Neil Brown kind of gave it away saying he still has room for growth I, I don't know if they're expecting him to still get bigger um, I mean obviously you get bigger from high school to college but like how big are they expecting him to get what are they thinking about doing with him because he is a guy that at, at camp during these seven on sevens he is just a guy that kind of used his body and got open all the time and he tested well. He performed well. I think it's just a matter of he doesn't quite fit like the, the typical height and weight of any one position. And, hey, when, when you have that scholarship and, you hey, I got this guy who just produces, tests well, and has NFL bloodlines, Roll that dice. Roll the dice. See what happens. And, and so I think that's a good pickup, too, because he could end up in a couple of different spots. Also said that he's going to be a great special teams player for us, which is maybe not the signing day glossing you want if you're a player. But it will. maybe that's true. He, may, he could be a contributor on offense and special teams. We'll see. Finally, um, defensive end. Yeah, they don't get Justin Benton, who a player that they they had quite a run with in the recruiting process there. But um, they, they did get some people that perhaps right away can play, too kind of go through their defensive line impact here about who they got and what they might mean to the team, short-term, long-term. Well, Keith is the guy that might be, Zachariah Keith from Georgia, might be the guy who ends up 
most important in part because Benton's out. And honestly, he's the one guy that maybe like one of only like a couple guys on this entire commitment list that I didn't get to see in person. He did not come up and work out of camp. He was committed to Georgia Tech during the summer. So he didn't get to come out and work out of camp. But when Neil Brown says that your body type is like Sean Martin, that's a good start. Because that that Sean Martin was a guy that we were high on out of high school. He was the top-ranked player. Um, he was a guy that I put at the top of the list for who would make an impact go from backup to starter, even though he had a starter in front of him returning. Because I just – and if he if you're comparing Zachariah Keith to him, that's a good start. And then you got all these edge rushers. Like, it just screams yeah. at me, hey – we need pass rush. We didn't get it. And and that's what we're going for. And, you know, I know James Hurd is listed as a linebacker, but he is a bandit, true and true. And he is that guy that's going to fill that spot. He, he I, I have said, and I will repeat, his ability to rush the passer, he can do that one thing better than anyone else in the class can do any other one thing, um, if that makes sense. Like, he, he, he is – I don't want to say he's one-dimensional, but he is so good at rushing the passer that he is better at that than anyone else in the class is as good at anything, any other skill. So I think that's part of the reason why Neil Brown and staff think he can contribute right away, stick him out there and be like, hey, go get quarterback, go. Um, moving down, Orion, Orion Fisher. He, he, he produced all through high school, had a big year, just got a big bump on 24-7 sports. And the big knock on him was, Will he ever be able to put on weight? Somebody told me, you know, uh, this is a different kind of size we're speaking of here, but think Marvin Gross. Um, for those who don't remember him, he was a big player out of Dunbar High School in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I think he was listed at 6'3 or 6'4. And it was Dunbar was the first school I ever went to visit recruits. And I met him there and he was six foot tall and maybe 170 pounds. And I'm not sure he got that much bigger. And eventually, you know, instead of an edge rusher, like people thought he was and what he played in high school, he ended up as basically a safety. Now, I don't think Orion Fisher is going to end up like that. But I wonder if he's going to be able to put on the weight and keep it on because he is a guy that was 195 like two years ago. And everybody told him, you need to put on some weight. You need to put on some weight. And he's 205. So moving in the right direction. But you're kind of hoping that he can put on more than 10 pounds in two years. Um, when the college coaches are pushing for you to, to bulk up so you can really play that edge position. A lot of questions about my weight too, <laughs> growing up too. Um, I know you're going to have more coverage on this by the time that people are listening to this, it may already be out. So I don't want to overlap a little bit, but I touched on the one thing, the two things that caught my attention before we hit the defensive line, but their tight end and, and running back usage, but also kind of woven into that was this, I mean, not unspoken. It was stated plan to take some of these guys and figure out how to use them. It doesn't make sense to redshirt them. You know, why let them sit and develop for a year and go somewhere else? But also it's kind of cool for players to get specific things that help them succeed early on. If they have a talent or a skill, do it. And they're going to do that with some of these players. To me, that's a sound bite, but it's also something you can really kind of latch onto and say, hey, kind of progressive, forward thinking, have talent, use talent. And this is a program that certainly needs an infusion of talent in different areas and different aspects. So if these are sources of that and they help, great. Um, don't steal from me, Chris. You can't use that one. But 
what is an observation or a general um, view of yours about what they have accomplished or maybe sought to accomplish in this class that is not something that people can read about on the site? Well, I think part of it, one thing, wide receiver, it is it ended up being such a need because of the departures, uh, transfer portal, NFL, and then they go through and get, and I, people are going to hear this and they're going to think, oh, what? No, you don't get your guy. No, no, no. When you make a board, especially in a position like receiver, and say you need three guys and you will make a board of 100 people long, and you will be very lucky to get three guys out of your top 100. Very lucky. They made a board, probably 100 people long, and they got two guys. Well, they had three because Caldwell was in there, but still, let's focus on the two they still have. In the top five, Ray and Gallagher were bar none, you know, like top of the top of the board for wide receiver recruiting. And when you need talent, when you need somebody that can step in that position and you can go out there and get those guys, that's amazing. And I think, you know, obviously if they would have kept Caldwell, that would have changed the game too. having three of basically your top five, maybe top 10 um, targets in the entire class. That's that's unheard of. And I think they did that. And you look at linebacker, they've been raving about linebacker. You touched on that. Trotter heard. I mean, that's as good of a one-two bandit. I guess we'll call Trotter a Mike, Will, whatever we want to call him there. Um, that's as good of a one-two punch as you're going to get. But the one, the other thing that really stood out to me about this conversation or the, the press conference on Wednesday was Neil Brown insisting this is still a de- developmental program. And... I'm not sure. It seems like, you know, he's planting his flag in the ground and saying, we're still going to focus on high school recruits. We're going to still focus on building these guys from high school into talented players, even if we lose some of these guys to the transfer portal after a year or two. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if it's wrong. But it's certainly something that kind of stopped me in my tracks as the press conference was going on. Emboldened? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, he's, he certainly has his hill to stand on now. And that's, again, he's not going to waver from that. And I just think back to, I think back to when um, Akeem Mesador left and he had that news conference impromptu, but he said that after evaluating everything that he's never been more sure and more confident that the way things are going is the way that things should go. And here we are at this stage. And I think rightly is, is getting, some criticism for players leaving and also some questions about who's coming in and for to stand there and say that the the baseline of our program is going to be high school recruiting and development in this era is bold. Is it wrong? I don't know, but it's bold. And again, is he emboldened because he's got another year at least to stand this hill? We'll see. Um, two more before we go here. Recruiting class crushes, so to speak. We went over um, – I think Hurd is just one for me that I think is just going to be really cool because, again, here's a guy that they might just play on like third and eight for a while until he gets going on offense or on defense there. And then offensively, I think we both kind of like Oliver. But um, is there is there a C.J. Donaldson in this class? And what I mean by that is someone that is not a top-line player. Maybe he hasn't even been mentioned on this, but maybe in camp, maybe in the spring, I don't know he just seems inevitable that this guy has something and this is a football player and watch out because 
what we didn't know we can no longer ignore. Don't know if it'll happen in the year 2023, but linebacker Ben Cutter. That's my guy. Yeah. I mean, it, I get, you know, he was listed. I can't remember what he was listed at originally. And I think there were a lot of people that were complaining about his grade, uh, his ranking. Uh, oh, he's 6'3 and 220 and ran a 4'4. And, you know, the numbers were actually like 6'1, 200 and ran like a 4'8. Um, but at some point, that Mike position, that, that linebacker position is about intelligence, knowing where you're supposed to be, kind of instincts, and just a desire to be around the ball and hit people. And he has all of that. He is a guy that is close to 600 freaking tackles in high school. And I just think he's going to come in here. And again, I don't know if it'll happen in 2023, but maybe 2024 and beyond, he's ending up as like a multi-year starter as, as a linebacker and ending up with close to 100 tackles each of his years here. All right. You can steal that one from me. Finally, the math walk us through this here. There are spots left for transfer. They're not going to get a quarterback. That was another kind of a headline to me, I think, though it maybe makes sense. But they do have some numbers to use here. You kind of have this pinned down as to the quantity, but also where they're going to look. How does this unfold now with the transfer portal in you know, these next couple of days and weeks? So with the two public transfer commitments, West Virginia is currently scheduled to have 77 scholarship players for next fall. Um, Neil Brown, again, said there were two not public transfer commitments and then also stated that they would take between eight and 12 transfers. All those numbers add up. You know, there's eight spots left. So you add eight to the two that are already public. That's 10 transfers. And if somebody else leaves, uh, I've been told that more or less it's a one-for-one situation right now. So every other player that leaves from here on out will be replaced with another transfer. Um, so eight to 12 currently uh, is the plan. And I mean, it seems pretty obvious where those positions need to be receiver, uh, secondary. They're looking at defensive line. He says, you know, they're Neville pass up a offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. I think they're still looking for somebody who can make a difference in that too deep in the defensive line, especially with Jordan Jefferson out. Um, but receiver in the secondary, like those are the two biggest ones by far to me. Finally. Why did you lie to us and tell us that they were going to have an offensive coordinator hire? <laughs> Deception will not stand. Oh, my God. I, I really like there are some people who obviously got that joke, but and I thought it was pretty obvious. But there, there have been enough people asking me, why was there not an offensive coordinator announced on Saturday that maybe I should have made it a little more obvious? I don't know. OK, fine. I mean, I did rearrange my schedule for nothing. Thanks. Coming up on the website, Chris will have more of the discussion and discourse the day after on National Signing Day. We have a basketball game this evening. Don't forget Stony Brook. And by the way, Gino Ford coaches Stony Brook. His dad is Gene Ford, a friend of Bob Huggins. Gene Ford and Bob Huggins famously are the two individuals who are going to play pickup basketball when the pickup truck with no rear view mirror, stopped and invited them in. Trivia, did you know that? 
I did not know that. Now you and know. I, I cannot believe we have not heard that story six times this week. I'm kind of sad. I triggered it a little bit yesterday after the news conference. I wanted to make sure I had the right names and he remembered it too. So that was, that was my memory's good. So it's his. Uh, also, a couple fun podcasts coming up. One athletic director related, one basketball related. Don't want to give it away, but if you're traveling, if you're in the house of in-laws or your family and you can't stand it, you have to get away for half an hour. We have two podcasts coming up that I think will be enjoyable for everybody. Certainly someone who likes basketball and someone who likes athletic director ball. I'm not sure. And then plenty more on the website through the holiday weekend. Chris, any previews or teases from you? I'm going to have signing day superlatives, uh, giving it one more day to see if uh, one more signature comes in, see if any of these transfers decide to go public. Uh, and then. I think Friday will begin. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to start it Friday and run it over the weekend or wait till after Christmas. I'm going to start the, what do we, I don't even know what we called it, just the behind the scenes of every position group for recruiting this year. Just giving some, some more details that maybe weren't shared the first time around, maybe couldn't be shared the first time around. So look forward to that. Uh, so a new one every single day. Chris, I want you to grab a shaker, grab some ice, one ounce NyQuil, quarter ounce Jägermeister, three quarters ounce Absolute. Done. It's a Christmas cocktail. It's green. You're good, and it's permissible for you. I might have to hop on that. You should go right now. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.